In this series, we interview game changers from around the globe about digital ethics, online activism and social media. We get to know them, their stories and how they have harnessed one of the greatest phenomenons of our time. A little warning, most of our episodes are for adult ears only with frequent droppage of the F-bomb. I'm Roisin Bevan. And I'm Daisy Grant. And this is Harness. I am very angry. I have anger about what's happening in the world. And every single day I wake up and put that anger to a productive place. In January of this year, we spoke to Jess morales Riquetto. Jess's career has taken a number of twists and turns within the world of media and political strategy. She was the digital director for Hillary Clinton during her presidential campaign. And as we know, social media plays an ever-growing role in politics, campaigning and activism. She's currently the political director for the National Domestic Workers Alliance in the United States. She's a bloody impressive woman. We want to give a trigger warning ahead of this episode as we do discuss sexual assault and abortion. We first became aware of Jess through her presence at the Brett Kavanaugh hearing of 2018. She was one of the infamous elevator women who went viral after confronting a senator with the story of her own sexual assault. This is Jess with Ted Cruz. Thank thank you for being here and thank you for expressing your First Amendment rights. But will you actually listen to us and make sure that we're I think substance matters. I think substance matters too. I think substance is very important. Any hearing yesterday listening to testimony. I spent the entire day telling the story of the man who raped me. Very sorry for, 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 for what happened. That is not Judge Kavanaugh. Yes, sir, but one and way that you can show me that you understand why it's important to believe so that fair, legitimate process to assess Absolutely, sir. Do the right thing, Senator. Do the right thing. Be a hero. Do the right thing. Be a hero. These heartbreaking pleas from multiple women at the scene begged senators to listen to their stories and, crucially, believe them. They demanded action be taken by not allowing Kavanaugh onto the Supreme Court. We're now in a completely different place with women's bodies being further regulated every day and, indeed, with Kavanaugh himself on the Supreme Court. We discussed this time, her relationship with social media and comparing female rage to male virtue. This episode is paired with the director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance, Igen Poo. Igen gives further insight into the organisation on her episode. Should you wish to know more about their vital work, visit their website linked in the show notes. This is Jess. This morning, Jess, I just read the cutest thing online that you'd written in an article about what you wanted to do when you were nine years old. You said that you wanted to be the second woman president and your mum said, why not the first? And you said, because Hillary Clinton is going to be the first woman president, but I'll probably work for her. And then you fucking did, which is amazing. We absolutely loved that. (laughs) We literally (laughs) died when we read that quote. We were like, what? That's so adorable. 100% true. My mom still remembers it even. It's really cute. That is amazing. (laughs) We are so damn impressed with you. Can you explain what your role is at uh, the National Domestic Workers Alliance and Care in Action? So I'm a political director at the National Domestic Workers Alliance. I'm the executive director of our C4 arm Care in Action. And then I'm the co-chair of Families Bung Together, which is a large coalition. Do you sleep? So I'm not 
sometimes, yeah. I mean, sometimes I'm, <laughs> people always are like, oh, like you do so much stuff. How do you have like work-life balance? It's like, I don't have work-life balance. That's the best. <laughs> Wait, well, I guess, you know, your work is so kind of emotionally tied up into your values and, and, and everything about who you are. It must be difficult to separate them. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's very difficult because on one hand, I think a lot of what makes me a good organizer is that. I'm very emotionally connected to my work, but it's very difficult for a person to stay emotionally connected to the kind of work I do and like be a good person. I think in, in 2018, um, after the height of the family separation crisis, which was really quite emotional, um, I had a resolution to get a hobby. Um, and so now I post makeup tutorials on my Instagram and I'm really dedicated to that hobby and that's helped out a lot that's such a brilliant way to kind of like unwind and spend your time doing something a little bit more relaxing and less emotionally exhausting yeah makeup tutorials are very low stakes (laughs) how do you find that balance for yourself actually what I've learned about posting makeup tutorials is that in some ways that's a service too like the amount of like very positive feedback and um, clear impact that I've had. <laughs> I mean, like it is about lowering the stakes. I feel often in my life, like the stakes are very high and yeah. there's a pressure for me to get it right or to have the best strategy or um, to have like a lot of personal courage. And that's really easy compared to the populations that I work with people who, you know, are among the most exploited workers in their, in the economy mm. or people who are trying to, you know, complete a journey that was totally courageous in the first place. And when they got here, what's behind them is very difficult. And if they get past this point, what's in front of them is very difficult. So I don't have the most difficult job in the, you know, kind of in this realm, because when I'm in my work, I want to put myself fully, I want to be so fully present. I want all my best ideas. I want all my you know, righteous fury. I want all of my empathy to be present in my work. Um, And to do that, I think I have had to create, you know, spaces that allow me to completely disengage. It is one of the most difficult things about this moment. I am very angry. I have anger about what's happening in the world. And every single day I wake up and put that anger to a productive place. Well, it feels like social media, in a sense, or the online world, has given a space for female rage, unlike any other space before. Would you agree with that? Oh my gosh, completely. There is so much to be angry about Mm. right now. Mm. And I feel like it's incredibly important for women, especially, to give voice to that anger, because there's so Mm. many years, there's so many times in history where it's been really important to be nice. And we've spent a long time being nice and being placid and being at the sidelines. Do you think that uh, people would think that angry men were mean men or brave men? Anything that a man does is positive, right? And then like anything that a woman does has scrutiny attached to it. So I'm like, well, yeah, aren't you angry? Like, where where are you? Where is your anger? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, completely. I mean, going back to the Kavanaugh trials, if I could just pick your brains for a second. I was so angry watching those 
you know, being an observer of that trial and, and what you said with the stakes being high and, and we all have a have an engagement in that because the the US political climate feeds down into Australia and, and England and, and it affects us all. So watching the Kavanaugh trials was intense and I felt like deeply connected to it even though it really has nothing to do with me and so I can't imagine what it was like to be an American, to be an American woman, to to be watching that. And you were actually there, right? Yeah, yeah, um, for a lot of it. And what was that like? Truly, I think about those those experiences almost every mm. single day um like wow. that's it's really not an exaggeration i feel extremely politicized <laughs> over these last few years and i'm not sure that i was lacking in politics even before then but a thing i will never forget is the site of most of the action around the Kavanaugh hearings was the senate heart building and if you've never been there it's a it's one of the congressional office buildings it's a humongous building. And when you walk in, you walk into this gigantic um, kind of atrium lobby area. There's this huge sculpture and all of the offices go around that area and they go kind of up. And then when you go underground, most of the congressional office buildings are connected via this um, giant maze of corridors and hallways and elevators. And when you go to the basement of these buildings, it's almost like a whole separate set of action. So um, it reminds me kind of like in Harry Potter when uh, they come in and then everyone's going in and out and then they go down and everyone's going in and out. It's it's a little bit just like that. In like the Ministry of Magic? Exactly. Is, is that in what you're ministry, thinking? Yeah. In the Ministry of Magic, mm. exactly. Except not magic. But, uh, except <laughs> the opposite of magic. Yeah. Need magic. Yeah. Okay, so those two places are kind of where everything is happening. So during the Kavanaugh hearings, there's all of these women in black just lining the hallways. And then members of Congress, especially senators, basically like hiding from us. And it is sort of hilarious to think about like a bunch yeah. of women, you know, being so... <laughs> Scary, like the, like mem- like senators being so fearful of them that they're like dodging you know, such like power. Yeah, like. yeah. And also you're underground, you know, like you're in the basement. Like it's it's as literally as low as you can be. And members wow. of Congress are like dodging you. And that's what's happening underground, right? And then what's mm. happening on top. And in, like that was sort of the site of like major moments and major actions. And you can't talk in there. And any any type of like loitering in there basically is an act of civil disobedience. Um, so any if you have any signs, if you are having like a big meeting, all of that makes you capable of getting arrested. The Capitol Police were kind of being mostly cooperative, but everything that was happening there was completely unsanctioned action that was putting all of us at risk for arrest basically all the time. So that situation is extremely like fragile. And I remember after um, Anna Maria Archila confronted Senator Flake and Maria Gallagher, they confront mm-hmm. those are like kind of the most famous elevator women. They confronted Senator Flake and the energy that kind of came from that was like just so incredible. And yeah. there was this moment where Senator Flake, you know, was about to kind of change the course of what was going to happen and, and give us another week. And that was like this moment of, very it was very make or break like either this was going to be over right then and Mm. the supreme court is lost to us for a generation or we have like a week to save it and 
you know, organizing is often a terrible, boring, horrible slog until it's not. And then it's like about as exciting as a movie. And this was one of those exciting as a movie moments. Mm. So everyone is gathered in the atrium. This woman, Jennifer Flynn Walker, who's kind of like a behind the scenes warrior that everyone like doesn't know about, but she did. Um, she's like the veteran activist. She did, um, she was like radicalized during the AIDS crisis and was extremely influential in New York around um, direct action around AIDS. So she's like a direct action genius. And she walks up to me and a few of my employees and she's like, she has like a bag with a banner in it. And she kind of gets the signal like, you want to do it? And a, a banner drop is like the easiest act of civil disobedience to do in, in the Senate buildings, but it does get you arrested. So like automatic arrest, no matter what. So we have these these big like kind of cloth banners and we're going to drop them over. Remember I told you that the, the walls of the offices and the windows mm. of the offices kind of go up. So the hallways of the offices make a spiral basically up to the top of the Senate mm. office building. Most civil disobedience has a plan. This has no plan. (laughs) We're just going to do it. So we need to be really casual, go up the stairs and up the elevator. Um, uh, Capitol Police are watching you the whole time you're there. And they're definitely watching Jennifer because they know that Jennifer is a troublemaker um, in in these proceedings. (laughs) We drop the banner and they don't come and arrest us, which honestly is kind of anticlimactic. So we're like... You're like all Handmaid's Tale up in here and they're not doing anything. (laughs) It's like, what are we going to do to get arrested in here? We do it again and they don't arrest us. So then we run around to the end of the hallway and we drop it again. And now at this point, like because we're kind of running around, the whole atrium is full downstairs. What our banner says is we believe survivors. And mm. the whole atrium is getting totally electric from this news of Jeff Fleek. And there's so many people flooding in and they're chanting so loud. This is what democracy looks like. And mm. it's one of the most electrifying moments I've ever been a part of. That is incredible. I literally have shivers from I know. you explaining it. <laughs> I'm like, don't cry. I know. I'm, I'm trying. Don't cry, don't cry, don't yeah. cry. I'm crying. I'm, I honestly don't think I've ever had a moment like that because that chant is like kind of like a tired, like worn chant. Like this is what Marcus Lucas said, like the easiest chant to do. And mm. you don't always like feel those words. I mean, now I'm going to cry. But in that, yeah. in that moment, I really, I like, it's, it's not, it's, it's not yeah. like, it's not tired. It's a promise. It, it's 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 an aspiration of the moments when we live up to who we really are as a country i never i i'll never forget that moment that is so moving and you know what you were saying before about the stakes being high i mean they can't be higher than that really um do you think you know i often wonder with these incredible moving beautiful gestures or I I hope and and I guess maybe this is just a statement rather than a question but that Dr Ford do you think that she hears that you know I hope that she Mm, hears that and gets a sense of comfort from that that there are so many people who love and support her around the world and believe her another action that we did in relation to that was uh, to the Kavanaugh hearings was this video um, that was put together by one of our collaborators, Paolo Mendoza and Sarah Sophie Flicker, and they got activists and celebrities to read a letter about how they believed Dr. Ford. And it went sort of crazy viral on the internet, and um, 
and it was, I mean, it was like a really incredible moment. And after doing that letter, we actually found out that um, Dr. Ford saw the video and she was very, very moved um, by the solidarity. And I think that there's something really, really powerful about the Kavanaugh actions. And it reminded me again, when you said that even though, you know, you're far away and you don't live here and it doesn't actually have that much to do with your life. Like you felt it kind of represented you or that you were like reflected in that. And I think that a lot of women felt like that because there were women all over the world who were telling a story that many of us are familiar with. We've either experienced Mm -hmm. it ourselves or our friends Mm -hmm. have, our mom have, whatever, you know, we, we know this story. And yes, I think the act of saying that I believe you is not just, um, it's not just saying that I believe your story I think it is also saying to yourself that you believe your own story you believe the stories of the women who've told you about what happened to them it means it puts you in a continuum of women who are saying that they won't be silent and that story is really really powerful because even though there are so many women who have had the courage to come forward there are so many women who still do not have the ability to come forward and tell their stories. And I think that now there's almost this feeling of like, oh yeah, people tell their stories of sexual assault, but like it is incredibly difficult and courageous to say your story of of sexual assault to people that you know. So in public to members of Congress or to strangers or to the media is still such a powerful act. It's just a whole different thing. It takes I think immense personal courage. And so what she did was, you know, be a lighthouse for so many women who needed to feel like they weren't alone, who needed to feel like someone would believe them. And there, I do think that the power of the Me Too movement, the power of the Time's Up movement is saying that we are powerful enough to tell these stories and, and, the creation of the community that comes from telling those stories is as important as the stories themselves. Absolutely. That's beautifully said. Daisy and I are like sitting opposite each other with tears running down our face (laughs) Um, because, you know, it is just so incredibly moving. And as you were saying, it sort of transcends country. It transcends identity. It's, it hits somewhere more raw. It's like right to the heart of what it means to be a woman, to be believed, to um, exist in this world. It's, um, and it, it was incredibly powerful to observe. I mean, it's, it's so interesting to me, like the reaction to my um, conversation with Senator Cruz was really interesting because there were so many people who questioned my story or wanted that they were really sorry that that happened to me, but he didn't do it. Or said like, you know, we have to like presume innocence so, until so proven guilty. Because I was saying to Roisin before we came and we watched it again before we started interviewing you, and I was saying the way that you were talking to him was just so polite. It was just you were just stating the facts. You were just going Very in measured. there and yeah, held back. You weren't saying anything offensive. You were just speaking your truth, and there was. I don't understand what there is to deny about that and what there is to argue with that because you weren't doing anything offensive. I just, it, it just blows my mind. 
that was a really eye-opening experience for me because the number of people who were willing to question my story. And do you mean the pe- people, is this people online or people? Yeah, yeah, people like just like Twitter. Okay. People. You know, I mean, I don't know that many people who would like come up to me and say that to my face. Like I actually wish they would. It would be a astonishing conversation, yeah. I think. But, well, I mean, my um... guess is my guess is that they wouldn't. And I think yeah. that's what's because yeah. they don't have the bravery to... <laughs> that you do and the (laughs) other people do which is exactly the point right I do think that our next step is helping people understand that you know I I think that there was a feeling that like you know oh women just like started getting up and telling their stories or like you know all these women just like can't wait to tell people about their stories of sexual assault but like if I never have to tell that story again in public that would be just fine with me. Um, <laughs> oh, don't, don't you know, Jess? Women love talking about it. <laughs> yeah, it's like my favorite. Yeah, I love sharing it with Pass the sugar also, yeah. you know, like, oh, my gosh. I, I remember at the time having a conversation with somebody where I, like, said, you know, maybe it's not clear, but this is, comes at great personal cost to me. Um, it takes a lot out of me. It is really really difficult to do every single time and right now it's my job and that is very difficult for me as as an individual and it is also difficult for me as an activist even as somebody who trains people to tell their story and who you know has been doing this for many years I this is not easy I am not enjoying this political theater is real but part of what happens is it comes from a place that is authentic and emotionally resonant. And what was coming from an authentic place for all of us in those moments was some of the deepest, darkest secrets that we have in our lives. And I I think it's just so important not to forget that. So what was it like then when they voted him in after all that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I I basically was on like a six week tour all around the country, and one of the things I would tell people as we got closer to the end is they're counting on our silence, they're counting on us being tired. But I'm not tired, and I'm not discouraged. And I remember right before the vote, I was speaking um, at a rally, and I said that no matter what happens, we would get up the next morning and protest. And no matter what happens, they couldn't take away from us the power of the stories that we were telling. Yeah, yeah. And the very next morning, I got on a flight to Georgia to our Domestic Worker Congress, which is a gathering of hundreds of domestic workers. And um, we only have it every two years. And we did a rally in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, kind of the birthplace of the American Civil Rights Movement uh, against Kavanaugh. And in Atlanta, you can still feel like the roots of the civil rights there. Like the people who live there just feel deeply, deeply connected uh, to our country's history. It's very present for them. And one of the things that they said was, which is like an old chant, and it's... um, only forward, not one step back. And it's really difficult for me to think about Brett Kavanaugh being, you know, an arbiter of justice when it's so obvious that he couldn't be more opposite. That 
title. Activism is the work of really seeing what's impossible, which seems so difficult until it isn't. And then you and then you have it. And I do think that this is kind of a major moment in this long fight for women's equality, but it's not the only moment. And it exists on a continuum of so many other things that have happened in the last two years or before that, and hopefully in the future. And so it's not, it's not like the only recent setback, like there's always been setbacks and. Yeah. And I used to think that like, I used to be very Pollyanna about it, you know, like we'll get them next time guys, but I'm not Pollyanna about it anymore. Like this has devastating effects. I don't believe really in moral victories anymore. You're Um, angry as you said. Yeah. Yeah. When you lose, it matters a lot. We have to continue because if we don't i i think it does get worse which is not hopeful or or like you know like like it's not like the inspiring note sure like i think people want a lot but it's it's real so how do movements like time's up and me too hashtag i believe her how do they inform what you've just said the the feminist movement in the u.s right now and and what we're seeing it's just like an incredible time to be an activist in this moment. I feel, I do, I feel really lucky. And I think that's partly because of, you know, there's so much happening in the women's movement right now. So you have Me Too and Time's Up, and those two things are actually different. Me Too, started by Toronto Burke, is about centering survivors and their stories, and especially women of color mm-hmm. survivors. And then you have Time's Up, which is, you know, started by the women of Hollywood. But the reason that we say those two things together is an important, I think, breakthrough kind of in women's rights organizing, which is that, you know, those two movements are in deep conversation and solidarity with one another. And they've made that really clear publicly and privately. And and that is really incredible because when you have somebody like Reese Witherspoon Mm -hmm. using her considerable power in Hollywood as a producer, as an actress. So when she's telling her audience that the time is up and that it's time now for women to like no longer take sexual assault, sexual abuse, sexual violence in their Mm -hmm. workplace. That is incredibly powerful because Tarana's work is about the women who are the most marginalized, the women who are the most vulnerable, the women who, you know, have much less opportunity to say those things um, and much less of a platform. And I think that is just an incredibly powerful act because it seems like the women in Hollywood are more powerful, but actually all of us are powerful. What would you say to the critics of those online movements? I mean, I've heard people say, well, it's trendy to be an activist right now. And just because you hashtag me too or hashtag times up on a photo, what, that doesn't actually help, you know, the everyday women or the domestic workers, for example. No, I mean, I think that those people are are actually like 100% missing the point. One thing that I do find like extremely perplexing is this idea that there is a separation from your virtual life and your real yes. life. I don't know about you, but the people that I'm friends with on Facebook are mostly people that I know. You know, some of them I don't know well, like my friends from high school. But some of them are my very close friends and, and professional contacts and you know, there are people that I encounter in real life. I don't know a lot of people online who are just, you know, their their page is just completely full of people that they've never met. Um, and, uh, you know, the things I do on Facebook are things like a job switch I post about, um, you know, videos that Facebook makes for me of my friend anniversaries. 
those things are pretty deeply personal. And Facebook as a site or, or any of the platforms as a site of activism is much more personal than people realize. In the age of like everyone is a public figure, everyone makes a public statement. I think it can feel like we're all kind of politicians, like talking to the masses, but we're not. We're talking to our friends and <laughs> For the most part, most people are sharing varying levels of intimacy of their life. Um, and the fact that Me Too created a chance for the thing that people share about their mm-hmm. life to be their stories of sexual harassment, sexual assault, sexual violence, to me is so powerful. And the only reason that happens is because of the yeah. internet. You're not going to be like, everybody come over and then let's spend the night telling each other our stories of sexual yeah. assault. Like, that's like not... It's what no. girls love to do, no? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh my God, in my opinion, and And the idea that then that would like happen at a scale that it like literally changes society is also like just completely I also feel about accountability you know someone like Kavanaugh you know across the world we wouldn't have necessarily been aware of that you know 10 years ago okay say if you take um you know the Clinton Lewinsky scandal Uh you know yes there was a huge amount of media coverage but whether that was sort of analyzed by the people I suppose it's still going through the agenda of a media outlet but I feel like the accountability and the the news um, in the way that the people want to interpret the news it it feels a lot more like powerful and that it's a a, a much more of a a hands-on medium whereas we can come to our own opinion rather than being told what to think and then we can hold people who need to be held accountable accountable is not just going to go away because Rupert Murdoch decided it's time or vice versa. Here's the thing about when you do this with somebody that you know, mm-hmm. right? You know where your friends work for the most part. And so you know you may have encountered those same people, right? And it gets you to a reckoning that you have as an individual. And then I also think extremely importantly, the men in your life also have to have a reckoning because it's like, well, I know all of your bosses those guys would never do that. And it's like, actually, they would. Actually, they did. You know, we can be warriors. And and I say this, you know, for all people to be accountable, that we can be part of a movement. But at the end of the day, unless we're willing to say, the guy that I know who didn't seem like he'd do it, yeah, I'm willing to believe he did. Unless we're prepared to do that, I feel like we're always going to stunt the growth of the movement for all women. Absolutely. And I don't think it often is that there's a moment of personal and public reckoning that has to happen at an individual in a society level. Mm. And to me, that is the genius of the Me Too movement is that um, it, it has generated that and will generate that every single time people are forced to confront a story. And because so many women have experiences of harassment and assault and violence, they will have to confront it a lot. Yeah, as you were saying before, you worked on the Hillary campaign. And did you did you work on the Obama campaign as well? Yes, I worked on President Obama's re-election campaign in wow. 2012. What? That's huge. But, I mean, <laughs> how long does a president campaign for in the US? Well, it's about two years if you're on it from the very beginning. So in this case, our presidential primary season has already started. 
for 2019, it's the lead up to the primary. And then 2020 is the primary and the general election. And that will start in January 2020 and basically goes until November. That is incredible. You know, it is, we can't really fathom that over here. We have about, you know, three months of, um, you know, a few few (laughs) posters going up and people sort of engage. My number one envied. If we only had three months. I don't even oh, know man. if I'm aware of it three months before. It's like sometimes, especially, yeah, with like local elections and things, I know about the week before. This is, <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, yeah. that's my person, yeah. my area. Okay, cool, done. Truly, that would be. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I was sort of saying before about people aren't kind of elevated to such a celebrity status and the mm. focus is is a lot on the, the party Um in rather than the person I feel in in the UK and, and that not comes that with a lack of president yeah and, not yeah. that the UK and Australia don't have their own set of you know issues to work that through I'm not saying that at all when you work on a campaign is it partly your responsibility to almost lift someone up to a celebrity status in order to get them acknowledged and recognized yeah I mean it's interesting that you ask that because as a as somebody who works on campaigns it is very difficult for me because Ultimately, yeah, I think a lot of people want their politicians to be celebrities. Mm. Um, see, like Representative Ocasio Cortez, who's really making yeah, news right now. I would say, like, you know, <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, she's lovable. She's amazing. You know, like I, people are as interested in her lipstick and her skincare routine as they are in her Green New Deal and her tax mm. policy, right? Like, I think she's making waves for both of those things. <laughs> At the same time, ultimately, what makes you a good campaigner is not always what makes you good at governing. Mm, governing yes. is not public. Governing is not glamorous. Governing is not, I don't I don't think it's like that interesting to most people. And this is not against AOC. She has clearly proven herself so far to be also quite good at governing, which makes her sort of like a once in a generation talent. But most of the time, you don't have like once in a generation talents who are both consummate campaigners and also consummate gov- like you know governing officials. And so what people want out of a campaigner is a celebrity. And what people want out of a like a governing person is like a a bureaucrat who like really knows how to get things done. And those two things are not often found in the same person. And so I actually really worry that we're going to elect a generation of politicians who are good campaigners and bad governors. That's not good. And I also think that, frankly, it privileges a type of leadership that are, is not always exhibited by women. And so I wrestle with this all the time um, as somebody who does this work for a living, because I want to I want to give people the authenticity that they that they want. But we hear that all the time. We want candidates to be authentic. But we also know that the Internet is not a place necessarily of of true authenticity. It's a place of curation. Absolutely. I don't want to curate a persona that isn't real. And I've thought about this a lot in relation to Hillary because um, the persona that people most love about Hillary Clinton is not really real. And that is kind of the text from Hillary meme, right? This sort of like globe-trotting, badass, kind of devil wears Prada-y, a little bit like um, woman. And she is a globe-trotting badass, but she's also like the nicest person in the world. And that picture captured kind of a moment in time of absolutely who she is, but she's a super complex individual. And that was like a positive way that people kind of made celebrity status, but there's also a negative way, e.g. if you look on the internet and kind of see what people say about Hillary Clinton, she's basically responsible for like every bad thing that's ever happened. 
she's like done unspeakable things that would disqualify her from any kind of public life. And those things are not true either. That was such a good question because you struck on this nerve that for me makes me really, really worried about kind of the future of our democracy, which is that the internet is not a democracy. And if it decides our democracy, I don't know if that is necessarily always good without kind of intention behind yeah. it. What, what was it like working on that campaign? I mean, were you on it for the entire time? When did you come on? And could you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I was on for most of it under the backdrop of of so many other things, I think it was sometimes easy to forget. That was a, a historic moment for a historic figure um, at an incredibly important time in America. And I was lucky I basically only worked for historic candidates, um, which is like not always the case in politics. You don't always get to work for people that you've like looked up to since you were a child and like also, you know, will forever occupy an incredibly important place in our nation's history. So I just think of myself as like the luckiest um, person. And there is just nothing quite so motivating as that. And then as we went on and our opponent, you know, was obviously... Um, he who shall not be named. <laughs> we do not speak the name. It's like Broad City, didn't they? They bleeped his name out the episode or something. Maybe we should do that. Yeah. At that point, and especially as, as a Latina, I was going to do everything that I could to make sure that I stopped him. And ultimately... Obviously, we weren't successful in that, but I am really proud of the work that we did because I feel like, you know, I woke up the day after election day and knew that I had done literally everything that I possibly That's amazing. Could. You know that you, you li- yeah. that's incredible to know that and to have that knowledge. And you should be so proud that you did go out and do everything you literally could. Mm. That's amazing. Mm. And I feel like it also, you know, Trump being elected uh, whip, whip. Um, being elected sort of shone a light to various issues at least for people outside of the US to observe and to pay attention to um, you know obviously the saying the calm before the storm I hope that Trump is the storm before the calm for can you tell us what is next on the horizon for you and, and what are you focusing on right now yeah well NWA, we just introduced first federal legislation, which is a federal domestic worker bill of rights. It's co-sponsored by Senator Kamala Harris from California and Representative Jayapal from Washington. And we're really excited about that because, you know, we have two incredible women of color leaders who are introducing legislation for women of color who desperately need to see a change in our policy. The average domestic worker salary is 11000 to $13,000 a year. They're most likely to be um, human trafficked. They're the most likely to be sexually assaulted. Many of them are not included in basic discrimination protections, wage theft protections. I mean, it is an extremely exploitative industry. And it goes back to our country's founding when domestic workers were left out of a lot of these protections because they were formerly slave labor, um, mostly uh, almost at that time, completely black women who it, that slave owners were happy to leave out of our basic policy and rights. So this is a really a long time coming and an important step towards providing equality for most vulnerable women, low wage, mostly immigrant women of color. So we're extremely focused on getting as many people as possible in support of the Federal Domestic Worker Bill of Rights. And then, of course, we are in the primary season already for the 2020 election cycle. 
to us, it's really, really important that we do everything we can and we get as many people as possible to do everything they can, not only to hold our advantage in the house, but hopefully, you know, pick up some Senate seats and get a new president. We absolutely positively cannot have one more. <laughs> Um, term no, of Trump. Please no, so, just no for way. all our sakes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just like literally for the world, this cannot happen. So those two things will, is where we'll be putting a lot of our effort. You're Incredible. Doing yeah. you, you have made us laugh. You've made us cry. You've Thank done you it all. so much for talking to us. We're really, really grateful for your time today. Um, just continue kicking ass. What can I say? Yeah, every day you go into work and you do some fucking amazing stuff. I do not blame you for going home and doing some amazing makeup tutorials which i'm definitely gonna follow yeah i'm gonna watch i think that. i need a new look to be honest with you it's not going it's not going <laughs> okay, well for great. Me. okay great. thank you so much jess we really appreciate it i say bye to the recording bye bye thanks for listening to this episode of harness it would really help us if you could like review share subscribe follow all that magical stuff you know what to do one more thing we are proud friends of rafiki moema and the carly ryan foundation Both charities work tirelessly to help protect young people from harm and suffering. Support us by following the work of these amazing charities and, of course, each of the incredible guests we've had on the show. We'll include links in the show notes. Thanks for listening.